At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. You're now tuned in to The Investor Show, where we teach simple wealth creation for the common investors with investment advisor, award-winning author, international speaker, and founder of Royal Financial Investment Group, Prince Dykes. How do athletes, professional million-dollar athletes, go broke with a financial advisor? That, it's a great question, and it's one that I uh, am trying to diagnose and uncover the, the true issues. Um, I see it as a few different problems. Number one, uh, we're immediately uneducated around the world of finance. And so even when we talk about, hey, this first round draft pick just signed a $20 million deal, that message is being delivered to these young men and it's just false. You didn't sign a $20 million deal. You signed about an $11.5 million deal. And if you did it in New York or California, less than that. And so you immediately don't have a comprehension of how much you actually have, and you start to spend on the gross number and not the net number. The state of Denver, Colorado. As always, don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, comment, and share button, and drop some comments below if you got questions or feedback. And always hit the thumbs up button if you like the podcast. And also, hit the thumbs up button if you don't like the podcast. Either way, uh, (laughs) I appreciate it. But as always, as you guys see in the description box, we got another great episode for you with another great guest. I know know you guys don't have a lot of time, so we're just going to go ahead and jump straight into it. What up, what up? It's your boy Vigo Sachi. This is The Investor Show, and you're checking in with the investor genius, Prince Dykes. Let's get it. So without further ado, I wanted to bring in my very, very special guest here. He's a... um, NFL veteran that turned into a financial professional, you know, certified financial planner, a program that a lot of you guys that listen to me know that I'm currently working on myself. So it's a very strenuous program to see how he went from a uh, seven-year NFL veteran to becoming a financial planner, certified financial planner, and what he learned and what he saw. So I know it's going to be a great episode, a lot of great things uh, that we're going to learn. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest, Mr. Jed Collins. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing wonderful, uh, calling in from uh, Seattle, Washington. So hope you guys got some sunshine down there, but we're, we're just enjoying a winter up here. Uh, well, Denver, Colorado, you know, we got a little snow on the ground, but, you know, as always, um, it's, it's not as bad. We've got a beautiful mountain backdrop, so I can live with it. There you go. There you go. Now, the first thing I want to, you know, for the people out there who don't know who you are, the people out there who haven't heard of you, can you tell mm-hmm. people a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I, uh, I, I came through Washington State. I got a business degree uh, with a, 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 an accounting degree and felt like I'd be prepared. Um, I was going to actually study and go become a CPA. And this football dream, this, this opportunity kind of kept calling. Um, I'm an undrafted guy. I got cut a dozen times and truly tried to figure out how to go from just surviving in the NFL to finding success in it. And I was fortunate enough to do that. I got to play on some unbelievable teams down in New Orleans uh, with the Saints. Um, we were the greatest offense of all time at one point. I was actually the, the highest rated fullback in the game. 
Um, so from, for a kid who was undrafted and, and like I said, cut 12 times, I was, it was quite a, a mountain to climb. But during this kind of session, I was handed these, these first checks, these first reality points of, of my career and my life. And my, my perspective and my scope really changed on how prepared I really was for not only the professional game, but the money game as well. Um, mm. And as that first check came in and quickly went out the door, uh, I realized spending every dollar I made was not going to uh, capture that dream I'd been chasing since I was a kid. And it really started to lead me down a path of, well, what are other people doing? Not only within the locker room, how are some of the veterans finding success, but what does success look like in the corporate setting or just in life in general? And how am I going to walk away from this game? Certainly with some bumps and bruises, but with some money to show for it. And I was challenged by a mentor of mine to start studying for the CFP. And that kind of began the journey of, all right, my first check came in. I, I you know, I, I, like I said, I spent it. It was on an engagement ring and my wife and I are coming up on 10 years of, of marriage. So it was a good investment. But a, as I began to learn and study more and more, I, I realized that that process was not how the rich or the wealthy handle their money. And to, to achieve the dream I was setting out for, I was going to have to change a lot of my, my thinking and my practices. Wow. Now, the first thing that caught my mind, or caught my, you know, definitely caught my attention, getting cut 12 times. <laughs> cut 12. I mean, you know, talk about financial planning. <laughs> what happens when a player get, gets cut? Like, you know, let's say if I'm playing for the Broncos, how do you get cut? And what does that mean, especially financially? That's a great question. Uh, and so you, I, I went through training camps. I was on practice squads my first and second year, kind of moving around. And I was a fullback. And I was actually a fullback in transition. I was a, a linebacker and a tight end in college. And I get to the NFL and you stand next to Jimmy Graham and Ben Watson and Jeremy Shockey. And you, you quickly realize Jed's not going to be a tight end. Uh, and so, so I, you know, you, you ask what other roles and jobs are out there. And so a part of it was me finding the persona and really the attitude of a fullback, becoming a lead blocker and kind of humbling myself to accepting a role as the setup guy and no longer the guy. Um, and so that was part of the understanding. I had some great coaches along the way who taught me some tough lessons. And, and the position kind of breathes into getting released. But financially, it's extremely hard. You, and I, now I get to, to work with some young athletes, and I try to give them some guidance and wisdom. But you, your first stop, you, you, you feel like this is going to be home, and there's no reason or, or uh, purpose of why you want to be here all year. And you go and fill up an apartment. You get your car out there. You get all set up. And that call comes, and you got to you know quickly move. and uh, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife was kind of my moving company because I would get the call and get cut. And then the next morning I'd be on a, a plane from Philadelphia to Chicago and she would have to get all our stuff from Philadelphia to Chicago. And usually by the time she got there, I was already in Cleveland. So it was a, an interesting journey, but what's really neat. And what I, what I challenge people to do is continue to write their life story. Cause I get to now mm -hmm. look back at mine and I, I give a presentation called rookie to veteran. And it's a, it's a story around the stops I got to make and each building, you know, not many guys are fortunate enough to walk into 12 buildings. And again, fortunate is in parentheses because that doesn't mean I got cut a lot, but now I see each stop. I learned from a 10 year, 15 year, eight year veteran in one of the most competitive fields out there. And so I, I got to accumulate all that knowledge and, and experience. Hmm. Now, how does it, how does a phone call go when you get cut from the NFL? How does that sound? 
It depends on the organization. Some handle it uh, very professionally. You get a call from, uh, you know, a scout that says, you know, you need to come in. You're going to have a meeting with your position coach. You're going to have a meeting with the head coach. There are a few who say you're going to sit down with the general manager. Uh, some, you get a call from somebody you've never met. You, you go through the training room. You sign a, a waiver that says you're healthy, and uh, they have a literally a garbage bag full of all your stuff from, from your locker. Um, so it's a it's a difficult wow, process. So, they don't, so you don't even get a chance to clean out your locker. They clean out your locker for you. I've been in places where no, it's already been done for me, and I have been in places where you get handed a, gra- a garbage bag and you get to go clean it out yourself. So uh, my joke was I, I got a, a lot of free cups of coffee and I have a lot of sweatshirts <laughs> from different teams. Which uh, nowadays I get to work out in different gear and people come by and are like, why why do you have Dallas Cowboys shorts or or a Chicago Bears shirt on? I'm like I was with them for about three weeks, so <laughs> I got I got some gear. I got uh, okay. Now financially, yeah. what is that? You know, you wake up one day, like you said, you move to a city, you are, you know, setting up everything. You got an apartment. You go on to practice every day. In three weeks, are you? It's a, God forbid that you brought a house, something like that. I mean, it could work yeah. in your favor. But and then all of a sudden, just wake up and no more income. Exactly, and and football is kind of like sales. It's a performance business. You you don't perform, you don't get a check, and and each week you are out of the, the league during season is big checks are being missed because there's only 17 weeks. And that's a big lesson for a lot of rookies to really comprehend is come January, unless you're in the playoffs, you stop getting paid. Um, and wow. so when you would get, when I would get cut and I'd miss a, a week or two, those were, those were my meals that, that were being missed. And, you know, you quickly say you missed two weeks out of 17. That's significant. Um, and so what I really started to understand was not to lay down roots. Um, I started doing more extended stays. I definitely started renting cars or even trying to bum rides from guys on the team. Uh, and I did everything from sleeping on air mattresses and, and uh, uh, you know, established players, fifth bedrooms, um, to just trying to survive and, and save as much as I could after I had already made the mistakes early on of buying a bed and buying a couch and getting my car and, and doing all those things. So it is kind of a catch-22 um, I definitely don't recommend any young players to, to buy at homes unless they're possibly a first rounder or something like that. But it's just such uncertainty and really you need to make as much of your decision process, be able to move and, and, and kind of adapt just as much as you're trying to learn the business of football. It, it, your personal life has to be able to, to move and, and spin as just as easily. Okay. Even with all the moving around, over your seven-year career, how much money do you think you probably uh, earn, if you don't mind me asking? Not at all. Uh, so throughout my career, I'd say seven years, I was in the 3 to $4 million range uh, mm-hmm. when all is said and done. Maybe maybe a little less, maybe two and a half to three and a half. I have actually never really tried to – I could add it up, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, what's neat is with playoffs and player performance and things like that, you get to kind of up your salary uh, – to each, you know, I, I have a, a, a client who's who's going to be playing in the game to, uh, tomorrow, and they get to double wow. their salary if you make it down to the Super Bowl, you know, because the, the playoff checks kind of stack up with you. And so um, I really got to capitalize as I started to establish myself. We talk about living light. I, I showed up in New Orleans with uh, about two pairs of clothes and a small suitcase, and I stayed there for four years. So you, you wow. never really know how to prepare for it. Uh, but I, I look at it like that. I, I, my goal was to leave the NFL with a home that I was proud of and a retirement that had really propelled me farther than most 20-year-olds get to establish. 
And I got to achieve both of those. Now, am I kicking my heels up and, and never having to work again? No, but that was never really my dream or really a possibility of mine. My dream was to set my life up to where I get to go do something I want to do and not something I have to do. And that's the situation I sit in today. Wow. So now with doing that, um, you know, you know, going at making it $3 million, did you ever experience financial difficulties once you were retired? Uh, yeah. Yes, I did. You, because the, the day you retire from football, you not only lose your identity, uh, but you also lose and begin to break the golden rule of personal finance, which is don't spend more than you make. And if you're retiring from the game that was paying you, you immediately, regardless of who you are, you're spending more than you have coming in. Um, and so it, it is this really interesting transition period of having a portfolio or your investments give you peace of mind to, to be able to withstand that transition time, but mm -hmm. also to start looking at, all right, now I have to go start generating an income. And my first goal was I want to establish a career where my income is at least meeting my out, my outflow. And that was my biggest hurdle. And it's, you know, it took, it's taken me a few years. I've been in the career three or four years now, and I'm just getting to that point of, okay, I'm now on the other tipping side where I get to start saving again. Uh, and I, the, unfortunately, a lot of players don't have a, a, an immediate kind of yardstick or goal set in stone that they're chasing. Mm -hmm. I did because of the CFP. I knew exactly what industry and where I wanted to go. Um, and I was on client service teams for about two, two to three years and realized about a year or two ago that I love the industry. I love the, the service it can provide and what the company I, I work for provides for families. But I really mm -hmm. feel this calling to go out and empower and really educate people around this language so that they can take advantage of it as well. Okay, so by you being a fullback in NFL, do you remember Vontae Leach? I do, absolutely. He was uh, he was the man when I was playing. He was the the cream of the crop. Mm, yeah, he's been on the show. He's done pretty well for himself afterwards. He got into a lot of real estate. Now on the All other, right. yeah, yeah, he's been on. I think he came on last year. Um, Vontae Leach. That's me. That's what made me think. I was like, oh, fullback. What about? Do you mm -hmm. remember? Do you remember LaRon McClain? I do as well. Yes. Yes, LeBron McClain, we definitely did a documentary on him, but he had a different story. He actually, you know, went into, you know, where he got to a point to where he pretty much had nothing. Oh. From being one of the, you know, you know he came out of Alabama, yeah. and, uh, you know, he, he's definitely, um, he invited me down to his house in Atlanta, and we did a documentary on him, and he spoke about how he pretty much lost everything. Yeah. And, you know, how it just pretty much, you know, he kind of explained, like, hey, when I got out of the league, I had $4 million, and, but, what happened was, you know, that cardinal rule, I was spending more than I made. You know, I had an agent and I had a PR person. I had this and I had all this stuff going on and I wasn't doing anything to compensate. I was still living the same lifestyle. And mm -hmm. he said, before I know it, I got in trouble with the law uh, one or two times before I know it. I had, you know, looked into my account and I'm like, whoa, there's a problem. So he's trying to think of ways to like, hey, you know, what can I do? How can I, you know? Uh, do this and do that and, you know, ended up finding yourself into, uh, you know, running yourself into financial situations. So the, the thing about it is the whole time, the whole time I have never met, I have never met one athlete. Granted, I haven't met, you know, you guys are a brotherhood and it's, you know, you guys are elite guys, but I have never met a professional athlete in any sport that didn't have a financial planner. 
But how do people, even with LeRon McClain, he had a financial advisor the whole time. One, uh, work immediately uneducated around the world of finance. And so even when we talk about, hey, this first round draft pick just signed a $20 million deal, that message is being delivered to these young men and it's just false. You didn't sign a $20 million deal. You signed about an $11.5 million deal. And if you did it in New York or California, less than that. And so you immediately don't have a comprehension of how much you actually have. And you start to spend on the gross number and not the net number. Uh, within the industry, there is a large variety, as well, you, you know, of service offerings. And one of the reasons I'm passionate about what I do is I'm a fiduciary. And every time I mm -hmm. sit with a young athlete, that is the first word that I really, that's the first lesson I want them to understand. Beyond compound interest, beyond saving, beyond 401k, any of that, the first word is if you're going to work with somebody, it's got to be a fiduciary. Um, because what that does is it eliminates that question of, Am I being sold a product or am I buying into what this product's going to do for me? And that's a it's, a, it's a subtle change. And one of the analogies I like to say is you go ask a barber if you need a haircut, they're always going to say yes. Um, and so in, in the financial world is you go ask somebody selling a product if you need it, their answer is yes. And, and sadly, the, the people who are the most successful work for these big brokerage houses and they get into the locker room based on the brand of the, the company that they work for. And they have the suit on, they put the tie on, they're able to talk slick and really sell guys on this idea of this is how the wealthy really handle their money. This is how the rich go and create more money. And because the, the athlete is uneducated, inexperienced, and really not trying to spend too much time in this realm, they're just prey to be, to be t attacked and really penalized. Um, and so what I would see is if we could really service young athletes, we would make it a restriction to where they can't invest in their first three or even four years of playing. Why? Because their best investment is making the team next year. There's no offering out there that is going to make you more money than being on the squad the next season and being able to get a few years in, see or look around, having made a mistake or two, you don't have the time to make those kinds of mistakes that the average 24-year-old does. And financial planners, financial advisors, money managers, whatever title they go by, their job is to not ultimately make sure you achieve your dream. Their job is to make sure they achieve their dream. And so you really need to have somebody protecting you from this outside world. And that's where a fiduciary comes in and really plays that part. Uh, we, we term it a personal CFO, and that's somebody who just stands between you and the marketplace and tries to protect and educate you on every aspect of your financial life, whether that's buying an insurance policy, preparing your taxes, or ultimately getting into the investment field. Uh, you need somebody that is going to say, I have your best interest at heart. I'm not going to make any more money regardless of your decision. Here is what we should, what we should talk about going forward. Wow. Okay. So now... You threw around this word, this F word there, not the other mm -hmm. one, but you threw this F word <laughs> someone is listening and they're saying, get a fiduciary and make sure that person is a fiduciary and because, you know, you, you kind of hit it on when you're saying, hey, am I being sold a product or am I buying into this thing? What is the difference between a fiduciary and just a regular broker or financial advisor? Great question. So a fiduciary is a, a, a clause or a standard that you have to uphold. The difference in the industry is 
a fiduciary standard and a suitability standard. And mm. again, I, I love stories. Uh, and so one of the stories I like to tell is you go into a restaurant and you ask a waiter who is supposed to be an expert in this field of food. And you say, well, what should I, what should I order? And because the fish is on the menu and the fish is, is dinner, they're going to recommend the fish because it's suitable for a dinner. What they're not going to tell you is the fish is four days old. The chef said we got to push it because it's going out. And regardless of if it makes you sick or not, we got to get rid of the fish. That would be the suitability clause. Now, a fiduciary would say, hey, what should I have for dinner? And a fiduciary should be able to say, well, we know your cholesterol is high, so you're going to stay away from the meat. The fish is going bad, so you're probably not going to want to go there. You know, you got that, that summer beach vacation coming up, and I know you want to drop a couple pounds. Why not go with this? Cobb salad. Why not go with the salad? And, and that's the best decision for you to make. Here's option A, here's option B, here's option C. You get to make the decision, but my professional advice with objective, no conflicts, would be to go with this option. Now, those two differences, fiduciary, best interest, and suitable, which is just a, a standard that says this is a good enough option, is the vast difference in our financial industry. And people can wear both hats at times, and that's why you have to be very direct and clear in saying, are you acting as a fiduciary for me in this decision? Because somebody could say, you need this fund and sell it to you and still get commissions and kickbacks off selling you that fund. And that is the, the conflict we really try to eliminate. Okay, so it's really... The, how is the pay different for a fiduciary and maybe someone who's not a fiduciary, say a broker or someone who's doing suitability? So typically the broker and the suitability would be getting paid off sales and the fiduciary or balance sheet manager would be getting paid off advice. And the, the advice piece would be more of a flat, flat rate fee whereas the salesman is going to have windfalls of which product you're going to ultimately choose. Um, and so you look at like an investment lineup within, let's say, your 401k, and depending on which item and which fund manager you go with, the salesman or the broker is going to make more or less, depending on type of share class, depending on which uh, sector of the market it's in, depending on how much revenue sharing they actually have to do, whereas a fiduciary or a fee-only is going to say, hey, we've already decided on the money you're paying me. This has nothing to do with that. Let's make a decision objectively about what is going to be in your best interest. Okay, so the fiduciary is flat fee-based. Yes. So, is it, you know, getting a fiduciary, you know, say, say if you're a regular person, you know, I'm not an NFL athlete, I don't have a high net worth, mm -hmm. just a, you know, blue collar, maybe a white collar person or whatnot, you know, is it even beneficial to me to go out and get a financial advisor? It can be. If you can find somebody who is holistic, that is going to say, uh, you know, hey, family A, you are 36, you're starting out your plan, you just had your first or second kid, you're, you're looking at a house, I want to give you a plan that suits everything that is going on, not just this one little brokerage account that we're starting to build up, but setting up the estate documents saying, hey, worst case scenario, we know our children are going to be taken care of. We know from buying a home, this is going to be protected. We know we're maximizing our tax strategy. And then ultimately, ultimately we know we're invested in a diversified and a low fee way. If you can find a fiduciary that has that holistic viewpoint of your, your plan, that is absolutely beneficial. And again, like I said, 
professional athletes don't have the time to make mistakes and why they do why we do see stories and big you know headlines around them is because everything that they do is multiplied the tr- the average person that is going to continue to work and continue to ramp up in their savings and earnings they do have time but the opposite effect is if you have set up your plan earlier in your life it is then going to be multiplied to your advantage as opposed to your detriment for the professional athlete and that's what's really neat about what you're doing and what I'm doing is if you can teach people exactly how to use money and when i say use money i mean understand strategize and be efficient with it I think if you can use money in that way, you are going to set up your life. And over time, you're going to begin to see all these inches and all these routines that you have built out really start to weigh to your favor in achieving whatever goal you're set out for. Hmm. Now, let me ask you this question, personal opinion question there. It's 2019. We live in the richest country in the world. And we're having conversations about let's educate people on financial literacy and this and that. Why is this even a topic? This, you know, regardless if you become a football player, basketball player, a, a plumber, uh, serving the armed forces, school teacher or whatnot, we know you're going to be faced with this. Why is it we're still having this quote-unquote push and negotiating if this is something that should be required? I, I That is my biggest hurdle right now. Is people ask me, why, are, why isn't this already being done? Why, why hasn't somebody else done this? And my honest answer is, I don't know. That's why you're doing it. That's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. We are a financially illiterate country. You're absolutely right. We're one of the richest countries in the world, and yet 60 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and have no confidence in where their financial plan is going. Um, I see it as, as twofold. Number one, I blame the financial industry because the confusion um, keeping the foreign language and the tabooness of money continues to raise fees and, and create a lot of um, a, a, a lot of predators in the financial industry. As the less you, as the general population, understand, the more money I can make. I think that's probably problem number one. Number two mm-hmm. is in our education in our education systems, we've missed this gap because we just haven't adapted. Uh, the academic course is a cruise ship, and it doesn't move quickly. Even though they're starting to see this void, they really don't have the curriculum or the expertise or the engagement and entertainment value to teach young people, whether 10, 15, 20, 25, or 30 years old, this content. And so I see that as why we have missed this is the, the lack of our academic system being able to adapt and see the need in today. Uh, just a generation ago, 15, 20 years, our parents, their retirement was laid out for them in these pension systems. Hmm. My first lesson in our book is this idea of a pension is gone and you are now in your own vehicle around retirement and you have to be 100% in control of where and how it goes. Mm. And that's true, what you're saying, to kind of reiterate on that is, you know, now I'm at the age of 34, and I wrote my first book and when I was 30 years old, and it was, mm-hmm. you know, about my stuff and my son titled, Wesley Learns to Invest. And mm-hmm. they coined that as, wow, this is the first one to teach kids in a storyline about investing. And I'm like, well, that came out in 2015. I'm like, what happened to the other 100 years, you know, <laughs> 200, you know, why is this, like, new? 
you know, groundbreaking. And, yeah. yeah. Why is this so new? Oh, you wrote the first one to teach the kids about credit and insurance. And it's, you know, to me, it, it, it baffles me. All the things we have, you know, all the resources we have in 2019 or 2018, 17, in this last decade that, you know, this is, you know, makes me scratch my head. Now it, to, it's, to, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you're, but it's incredible but it and it's just like the professional athlete problem. It is still being perpetuated, and and you can and you've written a book. You have the content out there of don't have credit card debt, and yet two thirds of Americans still have it. Mm. So it it's how do we reach it? We have to be able to go into school systems and say every freshman on a college campus needs this these ten questions answered. I don't care what profession you're going to go into; these ten questions translate into everything. And I, I look at the book that changed my life was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Very simple, very well written, very, you know, beginner. And it's, I, I recommend it just as your book is a first step into this. But that was written 20 years ago. And, and so it, it took 15 years for then yours to come out. And it's like, okay, we're headed in the right direction, but let's pick up that traction. Okay. Now, the thing about, you know, that you that you know we spoke about the education system and uh educating people and things like that and we even spoke about you know uh, one of the most important pieces um you know because people you know, i always see that you know uh when athletes go broke or they you know you read about these crazy stories and you see what happened and when you talk to them they're like yeah i had a financial planner yeah i had a financial advisor and you spoke about fiduciaries versus suitability now what advice you have out there you know you being a financial professional what advice do you have someone who's shopping for or who's looking for a financial financial uh, advisor? I I would I would always begin with that fiduciary question. I think no 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 doubt about it that is number one, and that that is not a standard that you you change or adapt or lower. That is a legal liability. Number two, mm -hmm. I would ask how you get paid. So. Why, why are you or are you not a fiduciary? Number two, how do you get paid? Are we going to agree on a certain amount and then you go to work for me? Are we going to discuss each product that we go through and you get a different percentage? How, how does that process work? And then what exactly is the scope of engagement? What exactly is your offering from a service perspective? If I'm going to buy a house, is that a conversation we can have? If I'm about to send my tax papers to our CPA, is that a conversation we can have? I just had a kid and I need to start setting up my will and my, my education accounts. Are those topics and questions you maybe are or are not going to be directly getting paid on, but are those pieces to the, my puzzle that you're going to advise me? And I think if you can find a value-adding advisor, yes, people in their 20s can even get good guidance for the right price. With apps out there today, with service offerings, I kind of compare it to workouts. Um, if you need a personal trainer, somebody to walk you through, that is a, a service offering that people pay for. Now, if you just need the workout class, somebody to give you direction, but you can go and do it on your own, well, that is a different service offering, and it's at a much cheaper price. So there are these offerings out there that you need to be able to find where you can get fiduciary advice around your holistic plan and really understand where people get paid from. I, mm -hmm. I think if you get that plan in place, it gives you such peace of mind to know what you're working for and whatever you value as your most. I really love this analogy around your most over now. Uh, the number one skill set I've encountered in locker rooms, in corporate rooms, and my home life is my is 
successful people have an ability to value what they want most over what they want right now. And if you are able to put a plan in place directed at that most, you'll know the efficiencies and the systems and the processes and habits you have in place are all benefiting going towards that goal. And that really is what ties the entire plan together. Awesome. Okay. Well, now let's shift gears here a little bit again. You know, definitely thank you, you know, uh, thank you for giving out the advice on uh, how to find a, you know, um, how to find a financial advisor with between a fiduciary and uh, suitability and a, and a traditional broker. And I think most of that ties into people don't even know, you know, I'm going to go see a financial advisor. I don't even know what a fiduciary is. I don't even know that exists. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? You know, if you didn't pick up, uh, if you didn't pick up Tony Robbins' book, Seven Ways to Master Money, you, yeah. you, you probably wouldn't have, you know, thought about it, right? Or, you know, I think that's probably one of the, that's one of the first books that I had read that had uh, brought that that concept up. And it was another little book. I, man, it was an awesome book. It was written by a company that I interned for. It's probably on my bookshelf somewhere. But I'm proud of my bookshelf because, you know, I, <laughs> growing up, that's I never good. read books at all. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. Now, the thing about it now, shifting gears, you were sitting back watching the um, NFL. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> well, full disclosure, I don't get to sit back and watch football as much. I got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, both little girls. So mm-hmm. I don't get to enjoy the game all the time. Uh, but I, I've been asked this, and, you know, obviously I was rooting for the Saints. Um, despite that one play, I think the Saints lost the game. So I, I humbly say, you know, the Rams, kudos to you. Drew Brees is twice the man he is a football player and ten times the leader, so I always root for that guy. But uh, I don't bet against greatness. And when you go into a game and you understand what's, what's standing on that other sideline is that it factor, that idea of in that moment they are able to achieve and acquire whatever that is that the average Joe or, or myself don't have, I never bet against that. And those, that, that man and that coach have been proven to do that time and time again. Um, I see no, no, nothing that, uh, the, the Los Angeles Rams are going to be able to do to, uh, kind of disrupt that. And so I, I, I think it's going to be a, a good game, one that's talent versus, versus greatness and greatness is going to win. It's kind of like a boxer and a puncher in, in a, going into a fight. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a pretty good, uh, what, what, you know. what's your, who, who you got in the game? Who I have in the game, you know, first of all, you know, me being originally from, uh, Georgia, you know, of course, I'm happy for what happened to the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> grown up as a you, could, you didn't head. want them to, yeah, they well, can't win in Atlanta. Yeah, it's like to the brand new dome. You never hear the end yeah. of it. Oh, we went, they went. So, you know, I'm glad they did. You know, I mean, and, 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 and I'm, I'm just happy that it went out the way it went out. Like, you know, out of, you know, it got taken <laughs> from you versus you lose. <laughs> you know, That's so. You know, and actually, uh, Marcus Colson has been on the show, too. Mm-hmm. He's great. Oh, yep. quiet storm. Yeah, quiet. Very quiet guy, humble guy. You yeah. know, uh, and uh, when we spoke, I told him the exact same thing. But this happened before this. You know, this was like about last year when Marcus Colson came on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I told him too. You know, me being originally from Georgia, growing up as a Falcons fan, you you can't look at the Saints and feel sorry. Like, oh my God, you know, you had to like because <laughs> you know when the Falcons lost twenty eight to three in the Super Bowl, you know, you never heard the end of it. To so now you go, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, it's. 
two reasons. I'm, I'm right in line with you with I think the Patriots are going to pull it out. And the other reason why I want the Patriots to pull it out because if, if the Rams win, we're never going to end and hear the end of it from the Saints of how they got robbed by the Rams and the Rams won the football. <laughs> it's going to be this whole taboo thing into next season and all of the good stuff like that. So, you know, uh, I hope the uh, Patriots just uh, shut all, you know, shut all this out. So, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm – but slowly I am, you know, I'm becoming a Broncos fan. You know, I got a chance. Is that All yeah, right, good. Hold down. Yeah, you know, come, becoming a Broncos fan, you know. Uh, I've been in Denver now for a little bit over a year, but I got a chance to meet um, uh, the young wide receiver, Cortland Sutton, to uh, Cortland Sutton, to Von Miller, um, to a couple of, you know, the current Broncos, you know, the old school guys like Terrell and uh, yeah. Rod Smith. Um, Terrell, Rod Smith, I can't, I'm, hopefully I'm not forgetting anybody. But it's been a couple Broncos, couple Broncos players, and um, they've uh, been uh, big supporters of me. And um, so, you know, it's it's, it's kind of uh, rubbing off on me, you know, when I talk to them and I, things like that. So, <laughs> I feel you. I I've been in Seattle now for about four years, and I'm becoming a Hawks fan. Surely, <laughs> like you, you got to start. And I I had the good fortune. So when I was a rookie in 2008, I wrote in my journal, I want to come back and teach a, a basic money class to rookies. And 10 years later, that dream came to fruition. Uh, Mo Kelly, who works for the Seahawks, brought me in to teach, uh, to educate the, the rookie class up here in Seattle. And so we had about 15 to 20 young guys. Um, and I came in and I just, I wanted to deliver the ABCs of what I think a, a rookie in the NFL should have. Um, and that's an understanding around compound interest. That's an umbrella policy. And that's a system on how to handle their cash. Uh, and, and really empowering them around that. And, and you're right. The more and more you meet uh, the kind of current, you, you start to shift your, your kind of old, where, where your true values lie. And, and so in a few years, you'll be a Bronco and I'll be a, a Hawk and we'll, we'll start battling again. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, but is there anything that you want to leave off to the listeners that, uh, that are tuning in that's listening to the whole episode and want to know more about Jay Collins? How can they follow you and what do you want to leave them off with? Yeah, I love it. I love connecting with people just as I'm sure you have in engaging with from professional athletes to high school and elementary students. You and I, we feed off and we get better off feedback and off guidance and off questions. I welcome people to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at JetCollins45, LinkedIn at just Jedediah Collins. Uh, my, my book is going to be called Teach Me Money, um, and that's going to come out here in the next few months. And then I'm going to start kind of a series around that, that subject and issue. And what's the, what's I, I again? Uh, teach me money. Teach and me so money, it's going to okay. be the, the first 10 questions everybody asks to begin their financial journey um, mm-hmm. and kind of approaching it from much as you are continuing to, to build your uh, curriculum and your bookshelf around. Mm-hmm. I want to address each subject. I think that's one of the biggest failures today in our personal financial books is we need to branch out. We need to cover things like insurance that I know you got coming up. We need to cover things Ooh. like debt and taxes. You and, and Chad had a even, nice conversation, I see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, and we need to address all these things. What are, what are the different types of uh, investment vehicles out there? What, how do I understand my taxes better? What is cybersecurity? Why is that important to my financial future? Um, all these kinds of concepts and questions. How do the wealthy handle their money? Um, all those kinds of things that I, I think if we can give it more of this, this full circle holistic view and be able to educate on all these topics, 
that's what I want to be able to go and do and truly empower and make people capable of, of owning their futures. Wow. Okay. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, you got to hear Mr. Jed Collins, seven-year NFL veteran turned financial professional. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Until the next video, podcast, cartoon, book, or whatever else crazy you see me do crazy around the globe, peace, be safe, I'm out, and thank you.